I feel like I'm like an outlier <laughs> in BC. Working mother, college grad, you know, first generation immigrant, you know, women. So I need to try really hard. And I really appreciate people who try very hard to make things work. The time at Dropbox, I learned a lot. One day, the CFO at the time, he asked me, do you want to help us build a corp dev team? You know, I thought this sounds like a really amazing opportunity, so I took it. You don't have to be extroverted to be a VC. I would say at least 50% people they don't necessarily feel comfortable going out, you know, speaking in front of 100 people, but they would build a great company. Welcome to Venture Confidential, a series of interviews with top minds in venture capital. I'm your host, Peter Chapman. In today's episode, I interview Lan Shuajiao, founding partner and sole GP at Basis Set Ventures. We talk about quantitative sourcing, how she built her team, and what it means to be an introverted venture capitalist. As always, if you've got questions about this episode or want to be in touch, email me at vc at heavybit.com. Lan, welcome to Venture Confidential. Thank you for having me. You got a doctorate in psychology, spent four years at McKinsey, started your own educational company, and then corporate development at Dropbox. Right. I think that's where I want to start. What led you to corporate development? At Dropbox? Yeah. It's actually kind of funny. I had no background in corporate development. Um, I was at McKinsey before. I was, like, for the most part, a strategic, uh, strategic consultant. Mm-hmm. I went to Dropbox. I went into this team called BizOps mm-hmm. uh, at the time. Mm-hmm. It was mostly a group of consultants going in to solve different problems at Dropbox. And one day, the CFO at the time, Sujay Jaswa, he asked me, do you want to you know, come and help us build a corp dev team? I actually had no idea what corp dev was. <laughs> I looked up online, you know, I thought this sounds like a really amazing opportunity, so I took it. That's basically how I ended up being corp dev. What does corporate development mean? It's mostly a M&A function uh, at a company. Uh, each company does it a little bit differently. Some company has a more strategic component, some companies more, you know, uh, M&A function. For mm-hmm. Dropbox, we had, uh, you know, their... There was restructure over like the past four years, but for the most part, it had two functions, both like the strategic component and also like uh, the MA component, the execution component. Mm-hmm. So you, we would come up with the strategies in terms of what company we should acquire that might fit the direction of the company or the roadmap, and then go execute and buy that company. So there's also a post-acquisition component where we would integrate a team into a company and make them feel like home. What was the driving vision behind M&A during Dropbox at that time? There were three major things, right? One, the most frequent one we've done was you know talent acquisition. So mm-hmm. to augment uh, you know recruiting of top engineers or product managers, uh, especially, and get them integrated faster. Like it's usually a small group of people who have been working together for a long time. They can quickly ramp and you know come like you know do things very quickly. And then there's kind of product slash tech acquisition, where we would acquire like a mature, you know, already built product or some kind of technology that might take time to build at Dropbox, and we would integrate uh, with our existing product suite. So typically, the product and tech would fit fit in our roadmap, mm. so we don't have to spend as much time building it. We just acquire them and integrate faster. And then there's the last part, which is probably. The toughest and most uncommon, which is like strategic acquisition. So the idea is to acquire a company that will help us to either go into a new market 
or、uh, open up new revenue stream, or like acquire something. We just we don't know what to do. Like a good example would be Facebook acquiring Instagram, right?、Mm. Like usually this is a bigger acquisition that will change the company, you know, more significant than the previous two. So usually along the three lines. So you have no experience doing corporate development, and all of a sudden <laughs> you're leading this corporate development team. What's hard about that? So I was lucky enough. I was、uh, with Sarah Adler. We're building the team together initially.、Mm-hmm. So she's been doing this for a little bit longer than me. We're pretty complementary in a way. We're learning from each other, and、um, she was doing a lot of execution. I was doing more a lot of the strategic part of、uh, corp dev. So then, you know, after she left,、uh, I was doing more deals. It's、uh, it's amazing learning experience from both her and also other people who are experienced in Dropbox. You know, still it's a very hot company. Like back then, it's even like you know people love Dropbox. I would go on to chat with people who have more experience. They would chat with me, and you know they would help out. So it's a really the amazing group of、uh, mentors and like friends who help me learn how to you know do corp dev. And also, like you know, I learned a lot from the founders. Initially,、uh, you will talk to people, and you learn what founders really care about. Empathy is very important. For example, talking to a bunch of people, you learn what actually makes a difference to them, what they care about, how do we negotiate a deal,、mm-hmm. etc. So it benefited me greatly. You know, the time at Dropbox, I, I learned a lot. How do you source these companies? At Dropbox specifically, we had a lot of inbound deal flow. The network was amazing, right? All the engineers and PMs and people at Dropbox know like friends who know other amazing funders who will start a company and we would just like go out and talk to them. So that's actually pretty substantial、uh, deal flow for us. Over time, because I was pretty introverted, I find it not the most efficient to go out and talk to people all day. So I started experimenting building something that. Would、uh, help us find market signal and find these deals、uh, faster. So we end up building a quantitative sourcing engine where we'll, you know, like find data in the market that's not super obvious. Like we'll track people, we'll track traction of the company, we'll track a number of things so that we can find people who otherwise would not be in our network. That became like you know <laughs> a really fun project for me and、uh, give us some good deals. Nice. I'm deeply curious about quantitative sourcing. Because it's something that we're not doing at Heavybit, but I sort of feel like we should be. Can you walk me through the process of building that engine? Yeah. First of all, at the time, we have to be very clear about why we're doing this, what kind of deals we're looking for, because different stages of the company will have different signal on the market. We'll be tracking. After that's clear,、uh, we'll need to go and identify what kind of data we're collecting. And after that, we'll like need to know how we're tracking the data. Different data have will have different pattern,、hmm. and then the data like what will be the frequency and how we want the data to trigger deals for us. And then we'll like talk to the company and decide what are some of the criteria of evaluating these companies. And it's like feedback loop, right? After you build the whole thing, you will go back and and see what works, what doesn't work, and refine the system. To give you some example, like some of the signal we found、uh, actually really helpful. Are two things. One is traction of the company, and two like people.、Hmm. So one example, you know, we were tracking pretty much all the data we can possibly find around a company, like app store downloads, you know, engagement on the products from both mobile and desktop, revenue number if possible at all. So 
we'll see like the growth trends of the company at very early stages. Well, some of this stuff seems hard to find, right? Like revenues usually not a public number. Yeah, there are sources you can acquire. There are companies doing that, and you can you can buy the data or you can triangulate the data to get a sense of what revenue might be. You don't have to have the exact revenue, but there are indicators you can uh, you know that give you a sense of the revenue, right? You you know the price point, you know how many people use the products, you can mm. kind of triangulate and get a number. Got it. So the person on the team, Jimmy, he used to be a quantitative trader, so he actually did some smoothing of the curves. We know the true growth curve versus. Uh, there will be a lot of noise like going up and down if you just track the growth. He actually smoothed it out so that we can find you know the, the true growth of a company. Interestingly, one of the companies we found through such method was a company called Musically. Not sure if you heard of this company. It's a lip syncing product. We found it very early, you know, <laughs> three or four years ago when they were really really small. We just saw this company growing extremely fast hmm. and having no idea what this actually. Was and I play with the product and I decided, you know, I don't un- understand this, right? They're just growing amazingly well. And it's a team of engineers based out of Shanghai and they're targeting the US market. Like, if you follow kind of the, you know, pattern of VC investment, you know, if you're based in one country and target users of another country, that typically doesn't work. Mm. So we didn't do anything about the deal, but then uh, last year it was sold for a billion dollars. <laughs> It's one of the examples like the power of data. We would never find this company, you know, if we just rely on our network. Another company we found through tracking people, which is like the second thing, like people is amazing. Everybody knows you need to tr- keep track of people, right? But how do you keep track of a large number of people who may or may not be in your network? Mm. Like you have your everyone has their own network. It's a function of who you are and who you hang out, right? So we try to make this a more scalable process. We'll be tracking amazing engineers out of like Google, out of LinkedIn, or uh, other large companies we know where we know engineers are good. And one thing we were tracking was uh, a group of engineers leaving a company and go to start another company. That's usually a pretty good sign of like a new company starting. Uh-huh. Uh, we found a company called Quirch Labs from this process, and oh yeah, they are amazing, like amazingly large already at this point. Uh, you know, back in the day when we looked at this company, it was like, what is this company? <laughs> what is its name? And we, you know, we would never uh, find this company if we didn't have this tracking. Can you walk me through the mechanics of this? Are you consuming a LinkedIn API, or are they more sophisticated? There are signals you can find online. It can be GitHub, like public uh, information, AngelList, uh, LinkedIn. There's some public information. Uh, I don't think you can scrape LinkedIn data, which we didn't. Uh, but there are other like information you can find online, and you can consolidate like a database of things and track them. To be honest, when we were starting, it was completely manual. We just enter the people we know and like look for the people they know and start with like a smaller <laughs> audience of people, and gradually we'll grow bigger. What were some of the things that surprised you from this engine? A lot of things we just, you know, doesn't fit any of our mental models. Like musically, which I talked about, right? That would have been a deal I passed on right away if I see this coming from like a referral, coming from network, if I didn't know the traction. Also, like the network we found, we, we would found people based in South Africa, like this amazing kid who's is very, very young. I don't even know how old he, he was. And, in high school, and he's really productive and built all these apps <laughs> for other companies. That's just not something 
we would know and they're not in our network. So the most amazing part of this is it helps us find companies early and find companies not in our network. Actually, a byproduct of this is to you know, help reduce our biases, which everyone mm. has. Mm. I was just talking to Charles Hudson about how relying on your network to source companies can lead to a sort of homogenous portfolio. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, everyone has had their own biases. I mean, having a data angle help us reduce that. It shouldn't be the main sourcing engine, but it's a good supplementary tool to talk, cover our blind spot. Let's fast forward a handful of years. About a year ago, you started your own venture firm, mm-hmm. Basis at Capital. What prompted that leap? I've been always really into data. When I was an undergrad student, I worked in this lab that helped uh, children to acquire language, helped a computer to acquire lang- language as children, it's like language acquisition. It was the earliest form of AI back then in, in 2000s. It was too early. Uh, most people don't understand what, what I was doing. But that was the start of my fascination with AI. So I went on to do a PhD, which was measuring predicting brain functions. And throughout my basically throughout my entire career in PhD, you know, even McKinsey and Dropbox, I worked on a lot of big data projects at McKinsey. It was called Big Data then. Mm-hmm, the name mm-hmm. keep, uh, you know keeps on changing. It's all the same thing, pretty much. Uh, at Dropbox, I worked on like you know Hackwick project. I was in corporate, but like w- worked on Hackwick projects doing you know AI. We built you know meeting assistant for one of the projects. So always me interested in that. And I've been uh, making investments on the side in the specific area. Over time, because I do that so, so often, I talk about this with passion, I people, more people come to find me and wanted to talk about it, and more people want to invest with me or mm. invest in my funds. It was pretty organic. When I decided that I wanted to do something in the space, I didn't go out and say, you know, LPs, look, here's my pitch deck, you know, give me money, I will start this fund. It's more, I'm interested in this specific topic. You know, I will do investment regardless I have your money or not. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you're interested, let's do this together. If you're not interested, I'm going to do this anyways. So it was pretty organic that way. What is the one sentence summary of Basis Set? What's the fund thesis? It's uh, future of work. We invest in companies that improve people's work efficiency. From white collar workers uh, and blue collar workers, we're investing anything uh, in office productivity suite to farming robotics to manufacturing maintenance tool to like logistics supply chain uh, companies. And give us a rough sense of how big the fund is and what size check you write. The fund size is one hundred forty million dollars, uh, roughly. That's one hundred thirty-seven, uh, thirty-six, thirty-seven, including GP contribution. <laughs> it gets a little bit, you know, it's the not even number. We typically write checks between one to three million dollars on average. We will write smaller or bigger checks depends on the deal. So once a year, I would uh, write a big check into a Series A. We usually do seed and lay seed in early A, but uh, once a year depends on uh, depends on the deal. We we'll probably write a bigger check. Got it. One of the things that's interesting to me about your career is you started this fund with very little exposure to institutional venture. Was it? Tough figuring out the mechanics of building and running a fund. Um, I think figuring out running a fund 
wasn't that hard. It's not like you know. I would go on and talk to talk to LPs and talk to GPs, and they were. I mean, most people are very nice and talk to me about their learning through the process. LPs will have very their very specific、uh, requests of how they will run the fund, and you know, like each GP can manage how much capital and like you know how you think about this. So after you know several conversations, I would. Come to my own thesis of how I want to run the funds.、Mm. I want I want to run the funds a little bit different from other people. I will come in with my own hypothesis and I will fine tune it with people's ideas from their success and you know failure stories. So I actually really enjoy that process of fine tuning my hypotheses and、uh, come up with something that that works or doesn't work. I think a nice part of it is also like we're a pretty lean team. I can just say I want to do this. If it doesn't work, I'll change it to do something else. It's very much a startup mentality of like run fast and change things if it doesn't work. It's the beauty of having just one partner. How is Basis Set different from other venture capital funds? We're very focused in one theme, which is still future of work. We move extremely fast. We can make decisions in a matter of days. We do a lot of diligence. We try to understand the space really well before we we make an investment. But once we do understand the space,、uh, we move very fast. You know, I think the team all fit into a pretty similar culture, which is we're all very pragmatic people,、mm-hmm. uh, operators. You know, we get things done because it's enterprise funds. We try to curate enterprise relationship with the companies and help our portfolio company introduce their future clients. We have an amazing group of machine learning advisors who help us do deli-、uh, technical diligence, who help advise companies. Uh, because we're so focused, we're able to get like people who are experts in different areas, like machine, computer vision, NLP, and they will help us in different areas. I think the focus really helps us. Did you build、uh, another quantitative sourcing engine? Yes, <laughs> <laughs> we're、uh, in the process of making it better. But yes, <laughs>、uh, tell me about that because I imagine sourcing looks different for deals at this stage than it did for Dropbox corporate development. Yeah, so at BSV sourcing, we focus on tracking people、mm-hmm. and tracking because tr- you know tracking company with traction would be a little bit difficult、uh, because they're mostly very early. When they're very early, there aren't a lot of signals you can see on the market. So、uh, we track a lot of people. We track filings、uh, when people register.、Uh, we try to find them early. We track communities of people who are technical and like-minded and、mm-hmm. we like different type of startups and. We try to do a lot of research in areas we're passionate about, and we try to source companies that way as well. I want to spend a little bit more time on quantitative sourcing, specifically the signals that people are emitting.、Mm-hmm. You said one signal is a group of engineers leave a company at the same time. What are some other characteristics that are high signal when it comes to people? Yeah, so technical people usually sends like the best signal, like the most obvious signal for an AI company, right? Like for AI fund targeting AI companies,、uh, a lot of people don't want to change their LinkedIn profile, so、uh-huh. it's not obvious like whether they left a company or not. But they would go to GitHub and write some codes, and you'll probably at some point realize all of a sudden <laughs> someone wrote a lot of codes in、mm. GitHub, and is this person starting something new? In some cases, you would also like be able to figure out through the website of a company like where this company is hosted and like their stack of the company、uh, and. Using that to figure out whether they're a fit with the with the fund investment thesis. So there are like a lot of subtle、um, signal in the market that's not super obvious. 
How much do you care about people's experience? Yeah, that's a good question. It depends on what experience, and we like repeat funders. Obviously,、uh-huh. um, we like people who have grit and have been doing this,、uh, focusing on this for a long time.、Uh, so that experience matter. In terms of other experiences, whether you、um, you graduate from MIT, I think that's a great signal. But if you you know have not graduated from a top university, you you dropped out or you like you know drop out of high school,、uh, we don't penalize people by knowing that. So I think that really depends. Could you? Walk me through a typical BSV deal from sourcing through diligence. Sure. So typically, we do research when we like、um, there like for deals that are inbound that follows a different process versus deals who are outbound. I'll tell you an example of an outbound deal. We've been doing research in manufacturing、mm-hmm. and manufacturing automation.、Uh, we wanted to invest in company in this space, so we started sourcing companies, and、uh, you know. We did a lot of like landscaping, comparing companies and research, and talking to customers which companies are good, which com- companies are not.、Uh, through that process, we learned about this company called Falconry. So I reached out, and the CEO responded. But when he responded, his round was already closed. I was like two months too late.、Great. So I had to go in and chat with him. He was nice enough to chat with me. I had to go in and chat with him and like convince him to take my money, even though he was not fundraising at the time. I was able to do that,、uh, and that turned out to be a great deal for us. So we did diligence.、Uh, we, we looked at the products. We chat with the with the CEO.、Uh, we already done the market landscaping parts, which made the deal go much faster. We did some technical diligence. We talked to previous investors and talked to other references on himself and employees. So everything checked out. We made the investment. But as you can see, because we already did a lot of research upfront, we're able to move very fast. And that, you know, I think you know, funders appreciate that, and we're able to close deal very fast. And we're late. I've talked to two broad categories of investors on this podcast. There are some folks whose pipeline is almost entirely inbound, reference based, and there are other folks who are very thesis driven and do a, do a lot of outbound. It sounds like you do some of each. Is that fair? We get a lot of in- inbound deal flow, but because we're thesis driven, we、we'll、filter out these deals based on our thesis. A lot of deals, like as people learn our preference, they will also send deals that fit our thesis. Like a lot of deals, we actually end up have a high possibility of doing are those outbound because we already know what we want. We go hunt for these and we invest in them. Inbound, you know, that depends. Like, if it's a great deal, we invest, but because like people are less clear about what we want,、uh, it's a longer process. Got it, but yeah, we have both. <laughs> I want to come back to basis set. You told me that you've got a a team of pragmatists. Tell me a little bit about building this venture team. I had a lot of fun building this team. We're still a pretty small team. The other investor on the team, his name is John Manis. He used to be a TechCrunch AI reporter. He's an amazing researcher, and he knows about AI so much more so than most people I've actually met. He wrote 500 articles in the year and a half he was at TechCrunch. It was a really amazing and productive,、uh, productive time for him. So、um, I think we're like very similar to each other. We're both pretty cynical people, <laughs> very pragmatic, and we would like we'll be deep in research every time we look at a company. Like you know, study all aspects of this company before making investment. Similarly, you know, Andrew he does operations on the team. You know, moves very fast. Like. Does pretty much everything that has anything to do with operations. 
Uh, we're hiring another person uh, who used to be early employee of Dropbox and Stripe. She's also very pragmatic and really low key. She would be the one getting all the stuff done, but you probably wouldn't even know who she is because uh, she, she doesn't like go out there and talk about what she's done. So that's kind of like you get a sense of <laughs> the people who are, who are in the team and we'll have amazing network of advisors who are very involved with the funds and they spend time uh, helping companies and helping us do technical diligence. And Ninian, uh, one of the advisors, host events with us regularly. And Peter Wallander, he works at OpenAI. He used to run machine learning at Dropbox. He would spend hours doing technical diligence for us on deals, and we really appreciate that. Do you imagine that BSV continues to be a sole GP firm indefinitely? Do you see yourself bringing someone else on board in the future? Um, I'm open to either. Right now, I'm having a great time. I think we're getting great deals. We're closing great deals. I didn't feel like that was a bottleneck at all. Mm. I think it's all about enabling people to do the best work that they can. I didn't feel like you know I need to have a very senior GP to do the best work. I think you know having a team of people who are clearly passionate about this, either their advisors or investors on the team, will be able to close best deals. So I'm not in a hurry, but if I Find someone who fits the culture, who are, you know complements me really well, who can contribute to the fund in a way that other people can. I think that would be, you know, I would be very open. What have you learned in the year that you've been at this? I learned so much in the past year. One, building a small team is very hard. You have to find people who really fit into the culture. And finding these people are not necessarily easy. Mm. Like culture is so important, maybe even more so than like the skill sets that people have. So I have a bias towards people who learn very quickly and who have the attitude to learn, even if they don't have the right experience at first. I would have a bias of hiring them versus someone who's been in venture for a long time. So that's one, and two. You know, people appreciate the effort you make to like get to know companies and treat them really well. So, for example, I get great deals from companies I even passed. Mm. Right, for companies that even I didn't make an investment, we still are friends because I treat them well. I invite them to events. Even I don't invest at this point, I still respect them and I still think they're. You know, on, may, they may be onto something, but you you just don't know. So people appreciate that, and they come back and give us great deals, and we host events together. So we always try to you know be respectful. We treat people well. We you know try to be humble. The third thing is you were asking earlier how we're different from other VC firms. One of the feedbacks I've been getting is that people feel comfortable coming and talk to us. They come to us early because sometimes they want to practice their pitches before going to other firms. Mm. And they can come to my house and sit on the floor and like show me their Excel spreadsheet and I can, you know, run numbers with them. They appreciate that. Yeah. I didn't realize how big of a deal that is initially. I basically thought that's just who I am. I don't need you to like have a formal presentation. Even I'm on your board, I don't need you to do that. I can problem solve with you. Yeah, we can come to a conclusion together. Over time, I realized that actually helped greatly for me to get early deal flow from people. So I appreciate the feedback from people, and I, I'll keep doing that. 
No effort, no effort mating that. <laughs> what do you think you're doing that makes you so approachable? It's just me, just who uh-huh. I am. <laughs> I didn't think that being a VC makes me any different from just being me. Uh, mm-hmm. I feel like I'm massively like an outlier <laughs> in VC. You know, working mother, you know, first college grad, you know, first generation immigrant, like a you know, woman. So I feel like I need to try really hard. And I really appreciate people who try very hard to make things work. And I, I, I understand when things don't work. Mm-hmm. That's when they actually need the most help. Uh-huh. When things are going all really well, they don't need VCs to help. That is when things go wrong, I'm there to help them. So I, I realize all that. I have to like create my own career path to get into making to get into Dropbox to like even make a career in any of these places. So I understand when things don't work and I understand like, you know, I, I shouldn't judge them, I should help them. That's just how my career was, and I, I try to uh, find people who are similar, who have the grit, who try to make things work regardless of like where they're from, their background. And what are some of the ways in which you help founders? I mean, frankly, from my feedback from founders, just by sitting there and talking to them, like without judging them, hearing them out, trying to offer solutions, and sometimes people don't even need your help; they just need you to like sit there and listen to them. And and try to help that already. I help people a lot. If you can give them like connections or help them do this and do that, brainstorm uh, different solutions, they appreciate you even more. So I think people need to feel comfortable going to you and even like just talk about these issues, and that's already a great starting point. That's a feedback I've been getting. Mm-hmm. Obviously, when I give them warm introductions to their potential clients, they find it very helpful. And when I say, you know, Peter can spend an hour with you every week trying to help you with your computer vision model, that's very helpful. Mm-hmm. But the fact that they can come in and ask me and talk to me about it anytime, it's already helpful for them. Okay. So I have a sort of an outline of basis adventures. Mm-hmm. It's sort of a small group of pragmatic, I'll say warm operators and investors. You're writing fairly early stage checks. Well, you're sourcing across both inbound and sort of thesis driven research. What has changed in the first year at Basis Set? Like, what surprised you and what is meeting your expectations? So, I talked about iterating, keep doing things that work and stop doing things that don't work. Mm-hmm. I think there are things that didn't work first, and then we would just stop doing that, reflect on that, and change it. One of the things I found that works was our check size and the size of the funds. Because okay. typically people will come in and say, your fund is too large. You can't possibly deploy that all that capital through this such small number of people. But I actually found this was strategy going into venture. I want to raise a big fund because I didn't want to compete with the small seed funds. There are so many of them. I didn't feel like there was a strong value proposition of competing against these smaller funds. I also didn't feel like I can compete with the large funds, uh, Series A funds. They can come in and deploy. They can invest in ten million dollars uh, into each fund, each round. Uh-huh. So I was going for the sweet spot in between. Uh, maybe sub five million dollar rounds will come in and do like one or two million dollar check or even three million dollar check. That's a spot I felt like you know it's kind of like blank spot in a sense. So. Throughout the year, I started iterating, experimenting on that. You know how receptive people are 
to that idea and how competitive we will be given our check size. It turns out it works. It works out great. I lost one deal last year because that deal was a relatively large deal, and a big fund came in and took the whole round. But for the most part, uh, it works out, and funders want to have a sizable check without talking to a lot of different、uh, small investors. And for the size of the rounds, a lot of funders wanted to do, they are a little bit small for the typical large firm. So we playing that round. I got a lot of positive feedback that you know our check size and strategy works. Let me say that back to you.、Mm-hmm. You're writing checks between one and three million dollars into rounds that are less than five million dollars total. Yeah. And are you doing follow-on rounds? Yes. Most of the capital is reserved for follow-on funding. I want to follow a company to, you know, their pre-IPO. <laughs> That's an idea. Obviously, we'll. Every quarter, we'll talk about the deal and you know adjust that number. Do,、uh-huh. see, do we do we need seventy percent? Do we need you know forty percent?、Uh, what's the rough ratio of seventy five reserved? Seventy five reserved. Oh, that's a pretty、yeah. rich reserve. Yes. Okay, I'm trying to do some back of the envelope math, and I'm struggling here. How many total investments do you expect to make with this fund? So I would expect to make about twenty five to thirty invest investments over. The life stage of the funds, and every year I would do five to seven,、uh, roughly, with this check size. Sometimes I would do a little like smaller check、uh, into like the extremely early stage companies, which I think are really strong.、Uh-huh. Um, sometimes do larger, but that's the rough strategy. And you're leading rounds. Yes, we could lead rounds. We could lead. We could follow. We don't have a strong preference into leading or following because we're lean and small team. We try to diversify. We try to like. Be conscious that our time is limited. We can't be possibly leading all the rounds. We just don't have the time to to do that. I want to say this back to you. You're saying that you think you found a sort of niche market between early stage funds, but still smaller than like larger. I'm going to call them Series A funds. What are you calling yourself? Do you have a name for this? Late seed and early A. Late seed, <laughs> early A. Okay. <laughs> the landscape continues to change. Yeah. Talk to me about prices. What are you trying to invest at in terms of pricing?、Uh, I don't have a hard rule. Uh huh.、Um, I often find some of the great companies are actually valued、uh, fairly high, but if it's too high and if we can't really justify it, we don't invest. So I think. It usually fall into eight to about maybe twenty mil valuation depends on the size. Sometimes the funds, the rounds are bigger,、mm-hmm. uh, they're more expensive, and also depends on type of companies. Like for robotics companies, they usually have a higher valuation because、uh, it's very capital intense. They need to raise more rounds later. Sure.、Uh, even though they have very limited traction to start with, they still have a higher higher valuation. We understand that. Okay, so I I asked you sort of what has Met or not met your expectations, and you're telling me that check size is working for you.、Mm-hmm. What's something you've changed since the fund started? So one thing I didn't think I would do initially was building a very strong community of people.、Mm-hmm. So initially, I also spent a lot of time on building the quantitative sourcing tool, and also you know doing research and sourcing deals that way. But over time, through BSV and through we host private dinners every month with a small group of people, I realize the power of these small events, and I would get to know 
very, very amazing people through these small events. And because I'm like relatively introverted, I run events is pretty stressful for me. But I realized the power of this, especially with the high touch private events and people come together and discussing like a one common topic and had a great time. Mm. That's one thing I didn't expect to do a lot initially, but now I got the feedback I got from people are so positive. I want to do that like every week now. <laughs> a couple of times you've called yourself introverted. Yeah. And I want to talk a little bit about that because I have this image of a typical venture capitalist as someone who's really gregarious, who's networking every night. How do you make it work as an introverted investor? I do things differently. I look at data. Mm-hmm. I host very small, intimate events with only 15 people. I don't do an event with a large number of people, which stresses me out. <laughs> so the small events, look even actually really enjoy having one-on-one conversations or talking about certain topics with a small amount of people. Uh, I like you know intellectually stimulating conversations. I can talk about all that all night. That seemed to uh, just fit me really well, and I I got really good quality leads and advisors and a lot of stuff from these intimate events. I think that's that's why I found benefiting to both me and people who attend these events. And you don't have to be extroverted to to be a VC. It's also one thing I learned. Um, a lot of people are actually very introverted, especially for machine learning people, like engineers, uh, like I would say at least 50% people are like me. They don't necessarily feel comfortable going out, you know, speaking in front of 100 people, but they would build a great company. <laughs> they just might not be as extroverted as other people. And identify with these people, they, they identify with me, uh, we get along pretty well. I think it's all about finding your product market fit. I ask all my guests the same closing question, which is, what do you wish you knew going into this? If I were to go back and do this again, I just tell myself, be confident. There's not one way to do something. There are always different ways to achieve probably the same or better results. So I think I now being venture for a year, I'm a lot more confident than I was uh, a year ago or like five years ago, ten years ago. I think be confident and learn if it doesn't work and change it. Lan, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Where can our listeners find you and who should be getting in touch with you? I am on LinkedIn. I don't use Twitter, but you can try to find me there. My email is lan.basisset.ventures. Thanks for listening to this episode of Venture Confidential. Venture Confidential is brought to you by Heavybit. To learn more about Heavybit, visit heavybit.com. And while you're there, check out our library, home to great educational talks by top investors, entrepreneurs, and other industry leaders.